Let, let's just go for it. And if we end up with a shorter, because let's face it, these FF issues, I honestly Oh, we're, we're going to speed through them because there's I, not that many and they're I, not that good. Exactly, exactly. They're weird. I mean, actually, it's it's really funny. I find myself being like, oh, like I'll spend like six hours talking about Homecoming and then we got to you know talk about the rest in 15 minutes, which is probably not, which is probably about all right for the rest of them. But anyway, maybe we should do the introductions. Graham. Graham, did you mute yourself? Did you die? Am I muted? What happened? Oh, I totally, I totally muted myself. Jesus, God. Hello, whatnots. Uh, it's Baxter Building. Jeff and I have been talking forever, and we haven't started recording an episode yet. So we're both going to be punchy. I apologize for that right now. I'm Graham McMillan. My wonderful co-host is, as always, Mr. Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. Wow, you sound so laid back as opposed to me. I sound like crazy hectic, and you're like Mr. Jeffrey Lester, and you should have like crazy beating music behind you. I totally should. Yeah, well, I'll leave that up to you, Graham. You're you're the you're the editing meister for this episode, so feel free to to hunt up, hunt up a nice little sound cue from Man from Uncle or something. That sound you're not hearing is me crying, realizing that I probably I'm going to spend too much time trying to oh, do no! that. Oh no! Hey. People, this is where we talk about Marvel's Fantastic Four comic, and we are we're we're at the twenty fifth anniversary of the Fantastic Four with this episode. Yeah. Uh, we are covering in this episode FF's number two ninety six through three o three. I know I said three o two in the past, and I might even have said three o four in the previous Baxter building. <laughs> Don't listen to any of those. We're doing two ninety six to three o three. There's a method to my badness, which you'll understand when we get there. Yeah. Anyway, these are some issues of a series in flux and when i say flux i mean there's a 25th anniversary issue and then there's like six months of filler i you, think that's fair to say jeff well i you know honestly graham i gotta tell you the thing that i think is interesting is uh i think you and i talked a little bit about um roger stern on the previous uh baxter building where i made some we sort did. of disparaging comments and you were kind of like what you loved his avengers and i loved his avengers in the sense that it was a book that simultaneously managed to be entertaining and tread water inoffensive wa- yeah and well, tread water while pretending like fainting toward moving forward i feel like this book uh because the majority of it really is stern for the most part um is it's a little bit of that same curse except maybe not with the entertaining part i mean it would almost yes like it's it's kind of fascinating how uh with the best will in the world shitty these comics are they are shitty and and what i think is interesting is is there is a way in which um you know, you and I spent so much time last episode talking about Burn and Burn's sort of ignominious departure. This uh, episode is really fascinating to me because it's like Burn's curse. <laughs> 
like everything that we're seeing i feel from 296 through to 303 is a whole bunch of people trying to wrestle with where burn was steering the work and trying to make it work and frankly just not being able to fucking do so well that's fascinating to me because for me what is so fascinating is these issues made me miss burn even shitty oh yeah phoning it in burn yep from the, his last few issues yeah but these issues just made me go yeah but that was at least fun in a way that these comics are not fun well, yeah the fun but also uh i and it, they weren't even that fun it's just no. these issues are very much not fun well these issues these issues are the opposite of fun the other thing is is i think there's something to be said for consistency like you know the burn issues at least did have and that was over the length of his run like there was diminishing returns but there was kind of that sort of there was a level to what you were getting out of burn's work that was kind of like oh, okay this is what the fantastic four comic is now and you pick it up the next month and it's like yep this is the fantastic four comic but like <laughs> admittedly part of the problem here is it starts off with that anniversary issue where it's like okay what the fuck like literally where a bunch of people have not been paying attention to what's happening with the book um you know do oh, an anniversary okay. issue you know shall we just get into this because yeah, ff six mm -hmm. is the 25th anniversary issue and it is a mess mm -hmm. it, it really dramatically is a mess yeah. uh, homecoming exclamation point is made by and i'm going to read you the complete creative team yes for ff uh, number 26 the 25th anniversary issue remember the centerpiece of marvel's 25th anniversary celebrations and you might understand why this issue is a mess are you going to read the actual i was hoping you could read that little um page the credit page with the with the huge ridiculous with pages i was just going to list the names but you want me to do the page breakdown no no not the page breakdown but the from the vast pool of marvel talent was drawn a handful of artists whose noble task it then became to commemorate 25 years of chronicling the exploits, the loves, and the lives of that most venerable quartet, the Fantastic Four. Because you got to oh, read that. You said Fantastic Four, it me so happy. <laughs> That's where I wanted to go for. <laughs> when they say a handful of artists, let's just say that whoever wrote that had a big hand. <laughs> it's plotted by Jim Shooter. It's scripted by Stan Lee. It is penciled by Barry Windsor-Smith. Kerry Gamble, Ron Friends, Al Milgram, John Buscema, Mark Silvestri, and Jerry Ordway, and inked by Barry Windsor-Smith, Vince Coletta, Bob Wyacek, Klaus Janssen, Steve Lealoa, Joe Rubenstein, and Joe Sinnott. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Yep, it Even really is. for a 64-page comic, yeah. that's a lot of people. Yep. Um, before we go any further, Jeff, mm -hmm. I want to uh, I want to draw you to the fact that it's plotted by Jim Shooter. Yes. And then I want to draw your attention to Marvel Age issue 37, published some months prior. In Marvel Age 37, John Byrne, who was not fired off the comic at that point, mm -hmm. explains what is going to happen in his version of this issue. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yes, tell me. So what's going to happen? The piece says, John was willing to give it a few details. The title is Return to Monster Island. Not the case. 
The basic premise is that Reeton, Sue, and Johnny and She-Hulk are out in California as a result of stuff that's happened in previous issues, and they go out to the old rocket base in Central City. It's all grown over with weeds and looking pretty scraggy, the way Cape Canaveral is these days. The first part of the issue, as it now stands, will be a retelling of Fantastic Four issue 1, as they tell their origin to She-Hulk, their first battle with the Mole Man, and all that stuff. But the Fantastic Four being the Fantastic Four aren't known for having peaceful times, and sure enough, they are quickly are caught up in an adventure as the world is ravaged by globe-spanning earthquakes. Earthquakes that Reed Richards managed to track back to Monster Island? But as far as they know, the Mole Man blew Monster Island up at the end of issue one. Any of this sound kind of familiar? Yeah. Not, not that same, but kind of familiar? Mm-hmm. So they go tripping off to Monster Island, or where it used to be, and discover that what is now there is basically a very large hole into which seawater has been pouring for years. It's been gushing down to the tunnels that the Mole Man appropriated from the Deviants, and has managed in many cases to work in a way quite a ways down from the vicinity to the centre of the Earth, as a result of which it's coming back up as a superheated, superheated steam, which is causing vast pressures of build-up underneath the crust of the Earth, which is what's causing all these giant earthquakes globally. Sidebar. John Byrne loves his, like, science that isn't really science. Yes. And I love that even in his description of the comic that he's plotting, he manages to slow it down to be like, here's my science, everyone. Oh, yeah. Back, yeah. back to what Byrne is saying. They're about to do what they can to undo this damage when the Mole Man turns up. He's still there, still lurking around, and he's got all kinds of things happening involving that group of outcasts that he's put together. And what he's found is, one of the last dangling things that I felt I had to address from issue one was the Valley of the Diamonds. The Mole Man has discovered that the Valley of Diamonds is not a natural phenomenon. The diamonds are mystical, and he's discovered that if he melts down the diamonds, he gets get, gets his claw up, which, if you immerse yourself in, you're transformed into what you whatever you are in your heart of hearts. Uh. What follows is a bizarre multi-level, uh, multi-level conflict involving the FF, who are trying to save the world, the Mole Man, who's trying to help the people, and who's sure the FF have come to screw things up, and another character, one who's been missing for a while. The Thing has returned to Monster Island. By this time, the thing will have undergone dramatic changes, sorry, drastic changes, the nature of which we dare not reveal. And he's decided that Monster Island is the only place for a monster like him. Mm-hmm. Big developments in for the thing, including his long-awaited reunion with the FF, and a look into his inner self as the thing faces just what he really is in his hearts of hearts. As the Fantastic Four try to deal with a world threatened with earthquakes, the return of the thing, the menace of the Moman, and the desperate need to get the Moman's outcasts off what's left of Monster Island before it completely explodes, well... You didn't think we were going to tell you everything, did you? Suffice wow. to say, there is a solution. One that doesn't involve the destruction of Earth and everything on it. That'll come in a future issue, maybe. Here's the thing. Jim Shooter yeah. lifts liberally from that plot. Yep. The one thing he doesn't lift is the Valley of Diamonds stuff. And Jeff, John Byrne uses that plot in She-Hulk years later. Oh my god, you're right! I was actually just re- I'm like, some of it sounded kind of super familiar. Yes! John Byrne does the Valley of Diamonds plot in She-Hulk years later. Oh my god. But almost everything else, a variation of which is used by Shooter in this this issue. So plotted by Jim Shooter, fuck you, Jim Shooter. Yep. No, you read an issue of Marvel Age. (laughs) It's true! Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yep. exactly the same mm-hmm. i mean the flashback to ff1 is the things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there, there's like actually shooter's version is is less organic shooter's version is is far less organic and is more forced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh completely well the other thing that i think is great is it, so there's first off i'm hardly surprised that jim shooter like 
stole credit, you know? The thing that I think is really funny is, is and this explains part of just the unholy mismatch that is issue 296, is, is that it's like sort of Burns plot, which has been Jim Shooterized, which then gets Stan Leeized in the script, and um, it's just a fuckadoo. You know, so here's here's the other thing. Whatnots who are uh, patron supporters and uh, are patron supporters above the one dollar level. That's right. I keep notice. Have access <laughs> to something called Baxter Mongol, which is me talking about the Thing series. And in the, the last episode, I talked about the issues of the Thing up to the cancellation of the title, mm-hmm. which theoretically set up the storyline. Mm-hmm. They don't. The end of thirty six. The Thing is physically mutating. <laughs> And it's running away because he's so ugly mm-hmm. and can't, no one can look at him. And when he shows up in issue 296, he looks like the fucking thing. Yep. Yep. Kind of amazing, right? Like, and it's interesting because... I, I like, yeah. dialogue still has him going, I look like a monster. Right. As opposed to, you look like you've looked for the last 25 years. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I gotta say, it's really interesting if they just ignored that aspect because uh, you know you mentioned the patreon gram but you also did a wonderful job summing this up uh on the tumblr as well with uh, oh yeah i did on, on yeah on the tumblr i actually i i used images to show the, what they were doing in the thing yeah yeah exactly I'd, I'd like i'd make a point of hiding him because he's transforming into something where like pink pustules are coming through his rocks and his rocks are falling off yeah and then the rest of it, he's shadow, and he's like, no one can see me, I'm so horrific. And then on the first fucking page, yep. they're like, ah, it looks like the thing, everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, actually, it actually makes me mad. It makes me mad. No, I get it. That whoever yeah. was whoever was in charge of this was paying so little attention. I don't... It's so little attention that when Stern scripts the following issues, yes. he has to try and retroactively explain it. Yep. In, in the funniest, dumbest way ever, which is... He was mutating, and then he got better. Yeah, it went into remission. So, yeah, and uh, uh, which you know, at least he tried to do something. To me, I think I think there's a couple of things going on. One could be you've got a handful of artists, you know, that are working on an, an issue that's hard enough to sort of coordinate as it is. The idea that you're going to break down, break a new. Um, character version of the thing for everyone to try and misdraw seems really semi-risky there's part of me especially because there's one point where it shifts from shit i think it's mark silvestri to carry gary ordway and the thing suddenly has like is wearing glasses which he wasn't in like the page before and there's no shift in scene yeah right you know, so, I mean, it's... The yeah, editorial consistency was not on the top here. Well, jam, jam comics are always a nightmare. Like, God only knows when this got done and what kind of rate that it was being done in or at. But there, there is a thing. Like, part of me is like, I, I, I've seen jam comics that have turned out worse, at least in terms of visual continuity. This, this issue is just a crazy goddamn mess. Like it's it's amazing how much as an anniversary comic it more or less betrays the sort of premise or idea of what Marvel comics are supposed to represent, which is kind of hilarious and sad. Oh, okay. Unpack that. Well, I think that the idea is is that Marvel comics is 
is this the um again the illusion of continuity of like one long story being told and told consistently in the idea that people are paying attention like admittedly there's times when you know back in the early days old stan is is saying that meanwhile he can't remember what the fuck you know bruce banner's first name is but that's sure you know but but the later generation that then comes on and replaces him really takes it to heart. And there's a lot yeah, of people... Yeah, paid a lot of attention to that shit. Exactly. Yeah. And so what I think is funny and interesting and sad is is that you can see, depending on how charitable or uncharitable you want to be, you have it. this plotted by a guy who I think is perfectly happy to throw out whatever he doesn't feel is important or interesting and will tell it his way. And then you've got Stan Lee, who is basically, you know, um, an incredibly agile improviser, but is not someone who's like fully in the know. So there's part, not just the thing's appearance, but there's points where, and very specifically, there's a scene where Reed says to Ben, like, Ben, please, have I ever lied to you? And it's like, oh, Jesus. Yes, that's why Ben left the team. Exactly. That is is the entire crux of how you got to this exact situation. And so it's, it's a it's a kick in the nuts to this idea of continuity. Like you can be super generous and be like, oh, there's all these artists and shooter and blah blah blah. But but the fact of the matter is is that at the core of it, um, kind of like this to me is kind of actually the the real irony is is like you've got stan lee in there you've got his little like glowy afterward you've got everyone sort of celebrating the ff and then you kind of have this engine that john byrne has propelled forward you know to this point and you're kind of stuck in a sort of stasis of like are we going to go forward or, you know, is what is what's worth celebrating about FF, the idea, kind of the constant of who they are that doesn't change? Or is it the idea that these characters will grow and change? You know what I mean? And it one of the things that I think is interesting is, is the issues that follow are everyone doubling down and being like, well, OK, I guess we got to go with this plot development that burn has put in place and there's no way that they can figure out how to do it and keep all the characters internally consistent. Not meaning to jump ahead, but the thing that's fascinating. Oh, no, is... it's, it's funny because I really want to jump ahead now after you said that. Oh, okay. Well, I, maybe, maybe we should. What the heck, Graham? You know, the listeners. Part of the reason the is that um, I think that what follows is actually in many ways, uh, a reputation of what Burton was doing. Do you think? Because I, because yeah, I, and it, it, in large part because of the things characterization. Well, the, the things characterization I, I, I is think exactly. Stern, Stern really, yeah, ties himself in knots. Yeah, uh, with with the thing things place in the book and the thing the way the thing is portrayed in general. Yes, in, in following issues, and it's it's a real problem. Like it's 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 oh, it's huge. It's following issues have a lot of problems, but like the, the thing is is the problem. Exactly, it's it's the, the biggest issue. problem. I feel like we should talk about 
everything is pinched on this one plot twist which leads into issue 300 and Ben's reaction to it and Ben's reaction to it is such like you said such a huge refutation of what Byrne was doing and yet and yet they keep giving it lip service and then even by the time that you get to the final Roy Thomas issue Thomas is kind of everyone's like yeah we're on board with well, fuck it we're, we can't we can't hold up the facade we're not on board with this Ben Grimm still in right? love with Alicia yeah, yeah exactly yeah you it, know? it's nuts so super quickly the plot of FF296 which we're pretty much going to otherwise jump past because it's it's a disaster of an issue. The thing is trying to get to Monster Island because he's a monster now, even though he looks just like the thing. Yeah. And he gets there because one of his friends, Hopper, flies him there. Why he didn't just get Hopper in the first place? Plot reasons, basically. Yeah. Like, at this point, this is four, four months after the thing title has ended. Yeah. Uh, it's three months after you've last seen the thing. The thing appeared previously to this in West Coast Avengers number 10, mm-hmm. uh, trying to get to New York. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three months later, like he's, I guess, made it to New York to meet Hopper. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Because isn't Monster Island in the Pacific? I, I, might I, thought, I, I thought so as well, but I don't know. Yeah, but never mind. He, he goes to New York, obviously, to fly to the Pacific. That's what you do. <laughs> um, uh, cut from that to... It turns out the Fantastic Four have been looking for Ben all along. Mm-hmm. Sure, they've never mentioned this before, right. but of course they have. Of course they've been looking for Ben all along. Uh, Hopper shows up and says he's on Monster Island. You guys should get it. The FF completely ice She-Hulk out. Yeah. Because again, that's completely consistent with what's been going on in the book for the last few years. Right. right. Uh, and decide they are going to go and get Ben. Before yeah. that, you get very scenes of Johnny and Reed both being like, "We done him wrong." Oh, oh wait a minute, we, though. We... Jeff's Jeff's moment of psycho—I uh, was going to say psychosexual—but Jeff's uh, psychiatric deep take is the weirdness of a scene, essentially, in which Stanley slash Reed Richards is sitting there sulking about how badly he's treated Jack Kirby slash the thing. And then Sue Storm slash Jim Shooter steps in and says, like, he's just been making you feel bad all this time. You don't have to take it anymore. It's all been about torturing you and making you feel bad. And you did your best. And Reed is like, yes, that's why we're going to Monster Island. Not to save Ben, but just so that I can tell him that I'm not putting up with his shit anymore. Which is hilarious and weird. And like I said, once you throw in the little backstory that, of course, is you know, is going to summon the patented Graham McMillan, I think you're reading too much into this, Jeff, is, uh, is, <laughs> is kind, of, kind of amazing to me. The only thing I think you're thinking too much into is Sue is Jim Shooter. <laughs> that's the only thing I'm I'm going to say you're reading too much into right. but it, it it is I can totally see uh, Reed is a Stan analog who is basically told sure he's been sulking but he's not as hard done by as he says he is you need to stop blaming yourself you should just go and tell him to suck it yeah exactly, exactly. Uh, but I, I'm not sure Like I just I don't Literally, I just don't buy Sue as shooter. I do buy Sue as Stan's wife. Uh, maybe. Right. 
yeah, yeah. I, I could totally see Johnny giving him the you have to stop beating yourself up. Right. He's he's completely responsible for this piece. Anyway, they decide they're going to Monster Island. They go and they meet monsters because, of course, they do. It's fucking Monster Island. And when they get in there, they are met with the Valley of Diamonds. They do find it. Yes. Because Shooter doesn't use the Burns plot, but he does remember the Valley of Diamonds exists because Burn mentioned it in his rundown. Yeah. Uh, they are dazzled by the Valley of Diamonds. They use it to dazzle the monsters and almost escape, except the monsters are like, fuck you, we're going to beat you up anyway. But Ben Grimm stops them, and Ben is now part of the Mole Man's outcast society to the point where he's now dressing like the Mole Man and wearing those fucking grey glasses. I gotta say, I fucking love Ben as as Mole Man slash member of Devo. I, I... He's, he's got the glasses, and he all, what I also like is... When he first appears, he's got his hands behind the back. He's like standing like the Mole Man, which yeah. he never does any other time. Yep. And he's like, I've sold out. I'm wearing purple. I've got the blue glasses. Yeah. What are you guys doing here? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Long story short, because really, otherwise we would spend far too much on this issue. Ben has bought into the Mole Man's shindig. The Mole Man, he shouldn't have. The Mole Man is, of course, up to no good. Everything comes to head when Alicia, it turns out, has snuck onto the FF's Oh no, she didn't sneak onto the FS, but Hopper delivered her. Yes. Because Hopper's the one who takes them off the island in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets uh, injured. She says, Ben, I love Johnny. I did, I, like, I did love you, but now I love Johnny. Ben's like, no. Then he's like, well, man, you are a dick after all. You're causing big earthquakes. Rawr. And then he teams up with the FF again. And the only thing you really need to know is... At some point, the mole man, who does seem to like Ben in a weird way, yes. makes Johnny into a monster. Like, yes. the, the, he does his face. He gives him ugly plastic surgery. Yeah. And before everything goes to shit, Ben saves Johnny's face, Yeah, is the short version. Mm-hmm. And then the issue ends with Monster Island goes under the, the water. Ben and the FF and Alicia and Hopper make their escape the end yeah that's all your that's all the plot you need yeah the art is horribly inconsistent the scripting is kind of a mess although notably not as much of a mess as later stan lee would get that's true stan lee at least plays this straight mm-hmm. it's very true as opposed to like in later years stan could not get through it without having characters being like huh i guess this is the plot twist huh right exactly um but it, it's a it's a terrible plot the script is fine. The art is individually. The art is all right. There's parts that I weirdly like. The problem is, is that the art is is weirdly inconsistent. inconsistent. Yeah, but um, but honestly, the thing that I thought was that was striking to me was toward the end of the issue when Jerry Ortway is drawing it. I'm like, all of a sudden, the layouts and the fight scenes have panache. Whereas before they don't, but I kind of like the bits and pieces pieces of the art. Like there's there's a whole section where I'm like, oh man, I never liked Mark Silvestri until I mistook him for Tony Sammons, and then I thought he was great. Right? Who is inking Silvestri in those pages? Because Silvestri's inkers, it's Joe Rubenstein apparently. Joe Rubenstein. That's yeah, yeah. That's maybe because they were rushed, mm-hmm. but it's it's rough as fuck in a way that Sylvester just normally isn't. Yeah. And it looks great. It really does. It, it's it got, it kind of bristles with kind of a weird energy that sort of evokes also, the first John, issue. John, 
John Buscema inked by Steve Leoloha is really nice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I feel like Leola is the guy who's really kind of bringing the, the energy to it. And I will yeah, say, because really... this is a fun fact that everyone will ignore, is is that Silvestri and Rubenstein, that um, Johnny's deformed face, when we see it, like the two times that we see it, the first two appearances, I would have sworn to God was drawn by Frank Miller. Because it is such a frank miller in his like sin city phase or like if you've ever seen him with like loose raw pencils um drawing a grotesque it's actually so yeah i can much. see that i i never would have made that connection but i can totally see it the first uh, when you see him mm-hmm. yeah the first couple of times that's mm-hmm. totally true there is really is a sylvester <laughs> somehow predates frank miller's sin city style yeah that's super weird yeah, isn't it crazy? Because I was like, oh, that's like dead on. So much so that I was kind of like, did they let him in to draw a panel or something? But, you know, anyway, it's uh, I, I part of me is, as is the case with Shooter, there's shit that is uh, terribly offensive and wrong. And particularly the mole man who like loses all drive as the episode goes on and just kind of wanders off. And like, it's kind of like he's addicted to prescription painkillers or something. But the but his prescription painkillers is the holodeck. Yes, the holodeck. Well, but even the holodeck thing where he's like talking to beautiful people and of course he secretly hates the ugly people and really wants to be one of the beautiful people because of course that's what Jim Shooter knows that people really are all about. Uh, is really it just doesn't even make sense. Like when the thing's talking to him and like the mole man so out of it and, and things like what? But it, it really is and then after that, Mole Man's kind of like, okay, Ben, if Johnny's important yeah, to you, it, I'll help you save him. Super I have weird. to wander it, off. Yeah, it's... It, it makes no sense that yeah. the Mole Man all of a sudden can't distinguish between fancy and reality to the point where he dies. Yes. I mean, he obviously doesn't. The Mole Man comes back because, of course, the Mole Man comes back. Right. But as far as this issue is concerned, he dies because he can't tell that everything is falling apart. Yeah. He yeah. could not tell that there are rocks collapsing around him. Because he is, he's lost touch with reality that much, which has no like. It's not even like the lay foreshadowing in for that. No, not at all. It's just he's utterly sane, yep. and then he is not. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, so and again, part of the problem is is that you know Stan being Stan, it makes sense. The and also the way the storytelling has to operate, it's kind of the end of the issue is like, oh, they're the FF, and the FF are going to be the FF again, and Ben's okay with being part of the FF. And then, which is yeah, why... Yeah, very, very, very clearly. Like, it ends with him, p- like, putting his hands on the floor and being like, someone's got to keep you knucklehead safe. Exactly. And then cut to Stern in the next few issues, where Ben is... Ben is actually more surly and grumpy than he has been at any point in the series since, like, issue two. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, even just the cover, I laughed when I saw the cover to 297. I mean, because there's so much stuff that's hilarious about it. But it's... it's oh, 297 and 298 are fucking horrible. Oh, they are so bad. They are so uh, bad. H-297 is called Set the Controls for the Heart of the Pelvis. Not really. It's called Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun. But I, when I was writing out the name of this issue, I honestly got to Pelvis because I like that song so much. Uh... I'm now going to... You have to do a link to this in this show notes. Wait, I was about to say, uh, I know the Pink Floyd song and the... Sorry. I know the Pink Floyd song and the LCD sound system song reference, but what are you talking about? Barry Adamson uh, and Jarvis Cocker did a song called Set the Controls to the Heart of 
for the hearts of the pelvis. Oh my god, uh, Graham! Of course. Ugh. Wow. Uh, that's so. T- I'm like, I've got the LCD sound system. I understand the Pink Floyd reference, and you're like, obscure Britpop. Yay! I win. <laughs> yep, I win. As opposed to this issue, which loses at every available opportunity. Holy shit! It is terrible. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because it's weird because it's so the the issues are John Bas- and Sal Basima. Um, doing the art and it's it's weird how the two brothers who used to be so incredibly simpatico in my eye are not like i don't know really where this falls but to me in my mind this is sal basima and i could be being tripped up by the john workman lettering but this is the basima who's been doing thor over like Simonson's, you know. If the last issue was Marvel's twenty fifth anniversary, then Salbasima is on Thor for like another year after this. So, so it is. Yeah. It is literally the Basima who's drawing Thor at this point, right? And his stuff, over as I recall, post Simonson is loose and rangy as fuck, and therefore it somehow doesn't manage to back John Basima whose work himself has gotten a little loose, but maybe not in the best ways possible. So the shit that I'm that looking at here, it tends to switch between two modes, which is because I feel, and maybe you would disagree that the um, there's sort of the, for issue 297, there's the A story and the B story, I guess. Or the FF, there's the FF and the antagonists, and the antagonists which have the dudes, two brothers who oh, are it's, it's, it's fighting horrible. one another on War World. Umbra and I forget the name of the other or Jagger uh, are. Could, I thought it was Jaeger. Jaeger, of course, it's Jaeger. It's J A A G U R. I'm sure it's pronounced Jaeger. So yeah, Umbra and Jaeger, who are total dill holes, and and clearly are being written. Again, I think I feel like the idea, the instruction is like it's supposed to be kind of Kirby-ish, super Kirby-ish, like lots of names spelled that way, lots of battle armor, lots of advanced civilizations with super science draining people. In fact, I wanted to ask you, didn't did these aren't this isn't a continuation of something that didn't Archie Goodwin's like in his FF? It's a totally different war world, isn't it? Because yeah, that's it, no, where... it's, it's it's a different it's a different thing altogether. Okay, but but it's but at the same time, it's not because it's essentially the same thing, which is Stern and the Basemas are real, and especially John Basema because he's the quote unquote penciler are doing the fake Kirby. Yeah. That became like Marvel Duriger in the seventies. Yes. Like it, it is the how can we do Kirby but even though we're not Kirby approach. Right. right. Which is interesting um, because so I, John Basima was drawing that Archie Goodwin issue way back when yeah. around FF one twenty or whatever the hell it was. And so it looks completely different, which is insane. Like like it doesn't even look like the same artist to me, which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, I know time passes. What's, but... what's really strange... Yeah, but what's really strange is Basama has changed as an artist in mm-hmm. that period. 
and you know that period is like 15 years i think between the two the two right. runs yeah um but what it really is is Salvis Emma's inks are so, at times, overwhelming. Like, yes. this last panel on page two looks like a fucking Simonson drawing. Yes, it really it, does. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and and Salvis Emma's inks go between really flat Sinnet mm-hmm. and Simonson yeah. in, in these issues. And when it's like when it's good it's great it's super weird and brings something else to the work yeah and when it's not it's terrible and right. i think notably there is thing is terrible in these issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in particular like like there's more much more of interest to me visually when the basemas are like mismatching on human characters mm-hmm. especially because sal basema makes them weirdly angular which i just don't like I tend to think of John Buscema's art mm-hmm. as round and curvier, yeah. And Sal Buscema is really angular, mm-hmm. and especially at this point, it's very angular. We'll and all see of a that sudden, too. you get like, you know, what is happening to Reed's face? That makes no sense, it, and it's really interesting to me. But their thing is just seems like half-assed. Well, because again, at least at this point, point they keep him in shadow, and then they have him wear like a version of the you know armored suit thing that they threw him in half an because issue again, for do right because again they don't know so what the fuck ugly, they're doing except yeah. he's not yeah like and you could actually tell that two ninety seven was done before two ninety six or at the same time as two ninety six mm-hmm. because they do make such a point of keeping Ben in shadow for so much of yes yeah and it's like. You wouldn't do this if you knew that we had seen him for the entire issue last time. Well, see, exactly. But then Stern covers it in the writing by having Reed jump through all these hoops of like, oh, no, he looks the same, but he feels more self-conscious. So I put him in the suit because I think, you know, like making him also, feel like Reed an outcast is, will actually help yeah, him. You know, Reed is the worst. Yeah. Reed's Benton feels completely. really self-conscious. So I told him, put a bucket on your head. Yeah. You'll feel bad. I I think Graham, the thing that's really sad is is that it's clear Roger Stern's uh, plans for the three hundredth issue was to have Thing become Forbish Man, and it all totally backfired. <laughs> what is particularly funny about that is Jeff, you may or may not know this, but three issues of Not Brand Deck went up in Marvel Unlimited this week. Oh shit! I because I that. think they added it like Friday or Saturday. Oh okay. That's they didn't add it with the other issues. Yeah, it's it's number it's one, three, and five, I think. But issue five is the first appearance of Furbishman. Oh man. Who I did not know was a Jack Kirby character. Really? That's so funny. Ian Kirby is a, the first appearance of Furbishman, which I had no idea about. Holy shit. Wow. Especially because Furbishman is just a ripoff of Red Tornado. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I, I like I never knew it was a Lee Kirby character, but it, it totally is. There you go. Marvel Legacy. Anyway, <laughs> two ninety seven. The the plot is this: an alien planet has two warring brothers who are called Jaeger and Umbra. Right. And they are fighting, and it's disconnected from the story entirely because the rest of the story is the Fantastic Four have to go up into space to deal with Plot MacGuffin, and Plot MacGuffin is really just an excuse to get them all into space so that they can fix a fucking spaceship or something. And Ben's like, ah, look at this team. They work really well together. I'm going to go and kill myself. And Johnny's like, you can't kill yourself, man. I love you. And Ben's like, no, I'm an ugly monster. And he's like, ah, no, I love you. And then as they go home, 
the two alien brothers merge into one ugly punk dude. Yeah. The end. The well, that that is now coming to Earth to supposedly kick their ass, and then uh, yes. right, and then issue two ninety eight is. I just feel like I'm not actually underselling 297. <laughs> Appallingly, I think I, that's pretty much what happened, right? Yeah, no. I, well, yes and no. I mean, technically the plot MacGuffin is, of course, that the brothers are drawing energy from our sun to power the super suits, which is really dumb. And then by shutting it down, the infinity vortex opens and merges the brothers together and then shoots them into space into the star core my beloved star core which is t tumbling into the sun graham let's talk about again weird meta text here we are talking about a story a horrible horrible wretched story <laughs> in which not a good one not in any way a good one in which two brothers are basically battling it out and then become merged together against their will. And it's being drawn by John and Sal Basima in the 80s where where they have finally moved in their own directions. Now, again, I'm not saying that everyone sat down and was like, oh, this would be an awesome story to tell about the Basima brothers, because clearly it's not. But it's weird how what, that to me has more resonance than of course the idea of like yes brothers who have learned that they must overcome you know their you know their enmity in order to survive aka closer than Johnny. brothers yeah, jeff exactly exactly uh, again if someone had told me like i would be reading an issue of the ff uh by john and sal basima where the real interesting really interesting stylistic shit was going to be coming from sal basima i would have been like yeah you are super high on crack but but here we are anyway issue 298 is is also dull as fuck um the ff managed to land um you know whatever the hell the combined brother of two bad haircuts uh, is called manages to find his way to earth and then um, tries to kick everyone's ass and then the FF kicks his ass and then they decide to save him by like separating him and then just in the classic Star Trekian style twist as the brothers are separating um, you know separated by a line of Kirby crackle one of the brothers begins throttling the other brother, which I got to admit, I laughed aloud when I saw it. I, I, I do love. Yeah. We're separating you. And then the first thing he does is like, I've got my arm back. I'm going <laughs> to fucking choke you. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's one of the best moments of these issues. Yeah, it really is. It really then, is. And then he's like, I'm going to grab something and just hit your head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so again there's kind of this weird thing even with two issues we once again get a a self-destructing villain because because the ff are kind of the whole point is is like the ff or the ff are okay it's the villain that's fucked up which basically is what happened in issue 296 so it's no, really but, super but also dull. You know, but you say that, but also one of the points of these these two issues, not two ninety six, but two ninety seven and two ninety eight, yes. is the FF is actually not okay, because right. Ben in these issues is astoundingly a jerk, right? 
And yet, in every single denouement of these stories, mm-hmm. for the, for all these issues, all the way through 303, yeah. Ben stops being a jerk. Yep. But in the next issue, he's a jerk again. Exactly. Exactly. It's astounding yep. that they're like, Ben's learned his lesson. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Ben's realized that he does love these guys. Nope. Yep. Exactly. Ben's not going to be a dick anymore. Nope. <laughs> it, it, the, the repeating... I mean, it's it's not even like it, like oh, I see they're doing a really something like recurring theme. No, they literally hit the reset button no, every single exactly. issue. And and what's weird is it's the same fucking creators. It's not like it was like oh, here's Roger Stern's issue, and then here comes Bill Mantlo's issue, and here comes Mark Grunwald's issue. It's it's all the same creator creative team, and they just seem stuck because it's literally. I mean, part of it is. They're playing. They're playing things out for issue three hundred, but but then it continues past that, and it's. I think it really is. It's one part like, well, we know a new writer's coming in, so we're just killing time until then. To people just kind of throwing up their hands and being like, I don't know what the fuck. Like, I know what we're well, supposed to do, which is have Ben be okay with this, so we can move forward. But we have no way of writing Ben in a way that could have him move forward on this without having him basically become an entirely different character, I think. Right? And here's the part that I was really curious about. Mm-hmm. Steve Englehart comes on as regular writer in 304, which at this point is, you know, five issues away. Did they know that? Like, are they literally playing for time, or did Stern literally have no idea what he's doing with Ben? I, I think I think he literally like, had, has had no Engelhart, idea. Yeah. Do you think Engelhardt said, "I'm I can take over the book. I can't do it for six months, but don't fix the Ben situation." It's possible. It's... Or do you think that like Stern is literally just like, "Wait, this Wolverine character is really popular, and guys like the Punisher. What if I decide to?" Ben is a jerk now because characters put, talk repeatedly in these issues that Ben is angrier and more violent. Yes. Make a point of saying that he is more violent, mm-hmm. which uh, is it's very strange. Right. Well, I mean, as, as we've talked about, like Ben is the original incarnation of the Punisher and Wolverine. Like he, he is the original sort of badass anti-hero at, at least when he starts out and then over well, yeah, time, for he all becomes... like two issues, do you know what I mean? Like he's he's like he's not really in that point even by issue four. Well, I don't know. I, it's I mean, yeah, it's true. The fr- he's nowhere as as much of an aus- uh, an awful dick after after issue four on. But even still, by the tenor of the times, he's mm-hmm. you know. So it's possible that what they're trying to do is. Either a bring Ben to the up to the tenor of the times of like oh we've got a darker more brutal more um, emotionally unstable Ben Grimm that you know is going to make him like in the score of Marvel badass antiheroes again. But honestly, I feel like Stern's using it as an excuse to here's why I'm going to tell the same fucking story over and over and over again. You know. Like, because I really don't see uh, the the fact is I kind of enjoy t- parts of two ninety nine 
in part because I'm just so hugely relieved to see She-Hulk back in the book and for for all of an issue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, although uh, we say that She-Hulk is actually part of 297 and 298, uh, a, a minor part, and it's also clear yeah. talking about things that Stern clearly had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. That Stern has no role for She-Hulk in the book, and yet also doesn't know how to write her out. Spoilers: He literally doesn't know how to write her out. She disappears from the book after issue three hundred. Yeah. To the point where the letters page has to say, "Oh, she's in Avengers now." Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. By the way, to, to it's also worth emphasizing for people who might have the GIT core stuff. Two ninety-seven and two ninety-eight. The book is in so much disarray. They have the same letters page. They run the oh, same that, letters yes. page in two issues. So. Yes, which is and which they apologize for in a few letters page in a few issues time. Yeah, which exactly. Is hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 such a weird period of the book because two ninety seven, two ninety eight, and two ninety nine for that matter all feel very much like fill-ins. Yes, but they're theoretically setting up the new status quo. Yeah, and you have quote unquote the new thing, mm-hmm. and the new thing is argumentative he's threatening the rest of the team he's repeatedly talking about how he wants to basically fight yeah. that's it which sets up 299 actually really nicely mm-hmm. because the MacGuffin of 299 is he has a fight with she-hulk what's the point he respects she-hulk more because she decides she's going to fight him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i really like she-hulk becomes the one member of the team he can he can interrelate with yeah because she is pretty much just like you need to fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will just fight you. Yep. You're in a really shitty mood? Great. I will just punch you. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you need. And he's like, I do. I feel much better. And I kind of had that moment of like, oh, this is great. Like, you know. Like, um, that actually feels like closure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Uh, of course, closure that then, it, again, is ignored because... Every single one of these issues has been reaching some kind of closure. Mm-hmm. Even if the closure is simply him going, oh, no, I do love these guys. Yeah. Yep. And then the next issue is like, ah, fuck you. <laughs> you with your stretchy body and you with your flaming on. <laughs> fuck all of y'all. <laughs> and you're like, he, didn't he literally just go, fuck you. Yeah, reader. exactly. Fuck you, reader. Dead. <laughs> um, 299 is called the best man. And the reason it's called the Batman is because in the finest tradition of completely unrealistic, manipulated soap opera, Johnny has decided the best way to make peace with Ben is to ask him to be his best man at his wedding to Alicia. <laughs> Johnny, you're a genius. Yeah, yeah. Genius, Johnny. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then they're surprised. Ben is like, are you joking? Right. Right. That's a terrible... And they're like, I don't know why Ben's being so argumentative and grumpy. What the fuck is wrong with all of you? There's nothing like the moment where... Because Ben actually finds out that Johnny and Alicia proposed before everyone else. Hence his, like, I'm going to kill myself by flying out, you know, hurling myself into space in 297. When they come back down, it's literally a situation where they find out... That the rest of the FF finds out that Ben has discovered this thing about Johnny and Alicia, and everyone's first instinct are to congratulate warmly Johnny and Alicia. And it's just like, wow, you guys, like, that would be awkward. That would be, everyone would be kind of awkward by it. 
you know? Even if Ben had not literally just come back to the team, mm-hmm. like, days earlier yeah. in the book's continuity, yep. is already massively self-loathing. Yeah. He more or less tries to kill himself, and everyone's like, great, when's the wedding? Oh my god, I'm so happy for you guys. Oh, Ben, you're still here? Like, so to follow it up with, like, Johnny Fuck being up, like... Ben. Yeah, exactly. Come on, can't you see? Your best friend's getting married. That's awesome. And his best friend's like, yeah, hey, listen, I just, I looked up this this word in the dictionary cuckold it seemed awesome could you be my best man <laughs> you know and it's just like what the it's f- gonna be all the rage in 2017 <laughs> exactly people are gonna be throwing this term around like it was confetti yeah it's uh it's it's dire it's dire stuff on, on, on the plus side something else i really like about this is she hulk is the only one who's like are you fucking kidding yes, me absolutely absolutely you know, which is great because one of the things that um, that that w- another way in which 296 rings hollow to jump back to the shooter Lee issue is there's that wonderful page. And of course, it's it's very much Stanley's scripting where it's like She-Hulk and White Wingfoot are like working out in the gym and She-Hulk's like, oh, it's so great how the FF shut me out. It's amazing. It's like for a long time I thought they were friends and then I realized they're like a family that no one can ever come between or ever be part of or join in any way and I love them for it. You know? Exactly. I'm so happy that they're such a family that they just said, no, you can come with me. Yeah, exactly. You're not part of the family. You'll never be part of the family. And you know what? That's great. I love them for it. And White Wingfoot's like, you know, to know them is to love them. And it's just, I'm just like, he like, he like hugs her. It's like, I've been noticing that for decades. Exactly. I'm so glad that you are also getting shut out by them. (laughs) I've saved their lives Uh, millions uh, of times. They change the fucking key card on this every month and they don't even fucking tell me. Have they ever fucking giving me the belts, the beams into the lifts? No. No, I fucking fucking know. I climb hand over hand up the goddamn elevator cables and I love them for it. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so much fun that the rest of FF are like, I don't know why Ben's upset. And she all gets like, are you fucking retarded? Yeah, that is pretty great. It totally is great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then she's just then she's like, I'm gonna go and find them in a bar, and we're gonna beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, again, which and that, and that is yeah. the issue, you guys. Yeah, that that is, and it's and that part is like one of my favorite parts, apart from the car crashness of the rest of it, which involves like, oh god, just the the whole, I don't know, the whole thing. Uh, one of the things that I do love about issue three hundred is. Johnny and Alicia get married and they're the people in attendance are fucking nobodies. Like John Basima does not give a shit. He's like, here's a guy with a beard. Here's a person with a funny nose. Here's a person that I'm caricaturing. Here's someone with a nose mustache. And you're like, who are these people supposed to be? And Roger Stern's like, oh, uh, here's Alicia's art teacher. And here's Alicia's art you know teacher yeah between <laughs> her other art teacher. her other art teacher between this and the honeymoon issue to flame no more which we will talk about which i got to say to flame no more still cracks me up 
anyway, I, I we'll get to it. But issue three hundred has the puppet master, um, the mad thinker, and the wizard all basically um, contriving to take down uh, the wedding of Johnny and Alicia in a way that is meant to summon up issues, uh, summon up fond memories of the of, FF... Of, of classic previous issues of, of anniversary issues, yeah. basically. Well, anniversary issues and whatever... Was it FF Annual 2 where where um, Reed and Sue get Reed married? Yeah, it's to bring yeah. back fond memories of that and really remind you what shit you're reading right now. Because they, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, mm. It's true. It is, it is FF issue 300. Yeah. Uh, it's the fourth issue by Stern, Bazema and Bazema. It is a 300th anniversary issue. It's a wedding. Everything makes you think this should be a good one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This, this this should be a team in its stride. And again, it feels like the latest in a series of last-minute fill-ins yep. that has been, you know, put together maybe it, it, it two weeks in total. Mm-hmm. And and there's, there's nothing... I was going to say there's nothing good about it. That's not true. I love the Doctor Doom bit. The Doctor Doom bit is kind of great. I genuinely love the Doctor Doom bit. Uh, the rest of the issue is essentially Ben says yes to becoming the best man after uh, in the previous issue after fighting with She-Hulk and being like, sure, you know, you beat the shit out of me for for an entire issue. Why why am I not? Go- why should I not be the bigger man? I'll be the best man. Yep. Of course, that means he starts off this issue going, "Why did I say I'd be the best man? I hate everyone." Yep. My Monthly reset has happened, and the Yancey Street Gang, as only the Yancey Street Gang can do, cheer him up with, out of nowhere, mm-hmm. an alleyway full of the Human Torch dummies. <laughs> Where did they come from? I guess the Yancey Street Gang just have them. Yeah. Just because that yep. that's what they do. Yep. Um. Yeah. It's a Reed gives Johnny a. Uh, you're a man now, and I am going to prove this by calling you John. Yes, which I... like you being mm-hmm. married is is oh it's 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 tough, John. It's yeah. not easy, but but it's going to be great, yep. John. Yeah. Uh, while the puppet master and the mad thinker and the wizard are like, let's fuck him up. Yep. Never fucking like Johnny. So I'm let's fuck him up. But of course, the puppet master's like, "But I love my daughter, so no, I will fuck you up instead." You know After what? I... Franklin. Yeah. And in the process, coming up with the greatest drawing of Franklin Richards that will ever be. The the greatest a what? GIT drawing of Franklin Richards mm-hmm. that will ever be. Jeff, if you're on the GIT core issues right now, it's yes. uh, the second last panel of page twelve. Oh, oh yeah, that is great. That's the which is the, classic. I, this will be shown as because mm-hmm. it's. It's the greatest drawing of a child ever. Yeah. Franklin Richards has never looked more terrifying than when all of his facial features have shrunk and his eyebrows have disappeared. <laughs> anyway, I, yeah. uh, the, the pop master defends uh, Alicia and the rest of the team. He gets the dragon man involved. There is a fight. The wedding goes ahead the end i and you know what i gotta admit like i said i like the dr doom part i also like the fact that the puppet master is like you know what i 
I was going to fuck daughter. things up. I it's my daughter, and I want her to be right. happy. Yeah, I like that moment. I did. So, in in uh, the same way, there's a moment in issue 301 that I like that's similar. So, what I was going to say is the Doctor Doom moment that we're not explaining is you see Doctor Doom at the start of the issue being like, "I will send in the most surprise for the wedding," yeah, and the last page is he literally just sent flowers. Yeah, and he's like, "I'm not going to fuck up your wedding." Mm-hmm. He... <laughs> like, I'll fuck you up later, but it's a wedding. Yeah, like have good wedding. Yeah, I I do love that, and and also the a truce between us for as long as these flowers bloom, and people are like a truce, and of course they're cut flowers. But I do actually love the idea that that Doom actually, again, sort of like uh, sort of like the puppet master, as as Sue points out in the last issue, Doom actually respects Alicia which is something that's been sort of set up in the previous issues that he can, he respects the arts and he respects her as an artist. And I thought, again, I'm like, ah, if, if only the rest of the issue had been kind of at that level of, you know, insight. Yeah. Insight. Exactly. For lack of a better term, Stern has lots of little bits and moments of insight to which the side characters. Kind of- yeah. Yeah, which is kind of what makes these issues frustrating so much. Exactly. Because he he does have, issue, have moments of insight, but every single one of Saren's issues, his plots are fucking appalling. Yeah. Well, the, his pl- his plots would seem dull in 1973. Yeah, absolutely. And those insights don't apply to the main characters of the book. They only apply to the villains and maybe possibly the Yancey Street gang, you know? But the everyone front and center, especially once She Hulk's disappeared, um, just makes no sense. Like the fact that that Franklin Richards is arguably the protagonist of issue three hundred and one makes sense almost because you kind of get the sense that Stern's like given up on everyone else, and it's kind of like okay, <laughs> yeah, but he hasn't. He hasn't because Franklin's essentially there to to prod feelings out of Ben for the next two issues. Well, yeah, prod feelings out of you Ben, know, give the uh, give Reed and Sue something to do, you know. Yeah, it it's uh, uh, anyway, short version 300 Johnny and and Alicia get married uh and they're off on their honeymoon for the next uh, their next three issues. And I I wish I could say that they were missed. They're not. <laughs> uh you know who is missed? She-Hulk, yes. who disappears from the fucking book. Yep. Pretty much in issue 300. Yeah. See her for a few pages, but that's it. And mm-hmm. then she's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking fuck. Issue 301, <laughs> dark dreams. Nightmares. Every child has them. Even young Franklin Richards. But Franklin Richards is no ordinary child. He is a mutant whose dreams show him events which are actually occurring elsewhere. His nightmares are the most terrifying of all because they're real. This is worth pointing out. Stern's plotting, and then Graham favorite Tom DeFalco is scripting. Yes! It's Tom DeFalco's first appearance on FF! Yeah. You might think he's a breath of stale air here. Wait <laughs> until he takes over the book as a writer. <laughs> I really like Tom DeFalco in other comics, and Tom DeFalco's FF. Oh, and I love FF, and I really do like Tom, like Tom DeFalco's Thor. I genuinely love. Well, of course. And at the same time, he's doing to- he's doing Fantastic Four, and it's 
rancid. Well, because it is. It's kind of, it's, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like dad squared. Uh, it's dad squared. That's, I think that's the problem with it. Uh, no, but that's, that's actually why I like his Thor. But see. Because his Thor is him and Ron Reynolds being like the most dad. Well, right. But that's the thing is, is by that point, Thor had become the sort of the least dad of books. So it feels like that's true. It felt weirdly fresh to to go like what we literally do a slavish recreation of Kirby. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Check us out, and the world's like, oh, not bad. Like the like that fit. Whereas in the FF, it's like they've barely it. The FF really have not come very far, despite everything that Byrne has sort of tried to do. And so yeah, so DeFalco on the FF is very much. Like you said, it's a, it's a breath of rancid air. It just doesn't work, you know? And, it, and, and uh, it's uh, like reading Archie comics with superheroes in it. So it's, you know, it's... So uh, that's issue 301. There's a great little moment. Wait, wait, like, so we, we, we literally haven't talked about issue 301. No, I think we just we're did, Grant, didn't we? literally like, oh, that's God. issue 301, we're done. We are. <laughs> what, didn't we? I, no, we're totally not done with issue 301. There's a lot to talk about in issue 301. The short version is, it's the... It's the epilogue of issue 300 as the thinker and the wizard are is essentially being hunted down after their attempt to, to to disrupt the wedding. The thinker is revealed to be an android because he's actually in, in jail. The wizard kidnaps Franklin and Ben mm-hmm. in a, I am evil and this is my evil plan. Uh, and but this, I should, I'm getting ahead of myself. He kidnaps them after... Franklin has pretty much said to Ben, why do you hate me now? Why do you hate my dad? What is going on? And again, you have Ben going, I don't really hate you. Wait, just give it an issue and I'm going to reset. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but he, the wizard then kidnaps uh, Franklin and Ben. Thing is like, no, you can't hurt my godson. I fucking love him. I hate him, but I fucking love him. But in the process of all this going on, Franklin reveals that he has his his magic dream powers to his parents, mm-hmm. which is the continuity point that is, that is relatively important. Yeah, Franklin's rescued. Everything's fine. Now we're done with just issue three hundred one. Well, wait, wait. Okay, agreed. But a let's point out two things. One, I love that the Mad Thinker uh, Wizard partnership splits because the Mad Thinker is like not going to. Be, participate in the the murder of an innocent child, kind of fun. Don't necessarily believe it, but fun. And also, then, we talk about the when it splits. Yes, it splits because the man thinker goes. There's no need to continue this conversation, and he blows his robot up. Yeah, he blows his I robot up. Yeah, I do too. Concluded. Good day, sir. And he actually says, "Good day, sir." Exactly. While he explodes his robot. Exactly. Man thinker, you're great. Yeah. That, I will that give is Tom DeFalco shit, and I will give Tom DeFalco shit. Yeah. But that panel is yes. the greatest panel, not only in this issue, but of this episode. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I love that so much. And then less amusing or less deliberately amusing is the fact that the wizard left to come up with his own fucking plan by himself without the mad thinker or the puppet master is he basically lurks in a fucking rape mobile cab until Ben and Franklin like come out in the street and hop in it, which I'm just like, 
how the fuck did he how was he gonna know was he just waiting there the whole fucking time he just like drove around the block yeah a he lot. just just over and over they're again they're gonna leave eventually yeah they're gonna leave eventually so, they really are somebody they have to leave have to leave exactly. i'm sure they don't own a car yeah they, they... have to leave <laughs> Exactly. Someone's going to come out and is going to put this kid in a cab. Because my whole idea is about kidnapping the kid. Naturally, they're going to put him in a taxi cab. It has to happen. Thank God for the wizard that it happened on, like, day one, hour fucking three. To be fair, we don't know if it was day one. No, no. I love the idea that it's actually been six months between the good day, sir, and the time that he pops up in the cab. That would be the best. But, uh... Also, there's one other panel that we should talk about, which is you do get a, a an interlude of Alicia and Johnny on their, their honeymoon. Yes. And it starts with, uh, they are mountain climbing. <laughs> and Johnny says, I wish you could see the scenery here, babe. It's gorgeous. And Alicia says, you be my eyes, Johnny. Describe it all to me. Yeah. Alicia, you're the most patient woman in the world, and I'm sorry you're married to the most insensitive doofus. Well, because it has... Alicia, it sucks so much that you're blind, it's fucking gorgeous! And she's like, sure, Johnny, you be my eyes. The thing that's amazing is, again, like, everything else, we literally saw that exact scene in 296 by fucking Stan Lee, no less. Where he's like, hey, babe, I wish you could see this shit at the car show. Oh, oh, damn, you're blind. And she's like, that's okay, baby. You describe it for me. Yeah, but she doesn't, he doesn't even go, oh, I'm sorry, you're blind. He's just like, oh, babe, you're blind and that sucks. (laughs) I don't think he puts it quite like that. Does he? I guess he does. Johnny, you're the worst. Yeah. I I don't Uh, know. I I personally think that, that that's their foreplay. Issue 302, which is actually called And Who Shall Survive? Question mark, exclamation mark, which I love. Um, but the cover does say, To Flame No More. Which made me laugh again. The number of covers that I laughed out loud at this run of, of the FF, considering we're only really talking about seven issues, is amazing. It's like I laughed out loud three times, I think. It was great. Anyway, uh, keep going. It, 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 the covers are shitty. These comics are shitty. This might be the fastest ever episode of Baxter Building because we hate these comics so much. And it's not even like before where we're like, we're like, there's so much to dig into in these comics. We just outright hate these comics. Well, I honestly, part of me is like, I don't feel like there's much to them. And of course, I'm totally... Um develocitized you know what i mean that whole thing of like when you go on a drive on a highway and you're you drive at like 70 miles an hour for like four hours and then suddenly it feels like you just feel like you're driving 25 miles an hour the fact that you and i spoke for like nine hours before we started recording this episode graham i'm like haven't we been talking about these for hours is aren't we talking about each one for hours like i don't i don't understand how time works anymore but... Jeff is only slightly exaggerating. <laughs> it was nine hours. It might have been six. Yeah, exactly. Now, to just f- want to throw it out there. To flame no more uh, is is. And who shall survive? <laughs> you know, Graham. Let's each take the title that we prefer. Has the special <laughs> terrifying credit of special thanks to the pe- the folks at Omicon Six for all the story ideas. So I I'm thinking that I don't know. Do you think Omicon is like Omaha or is it like Omacon, 
where it's like a convention of like well, I'm looking up Omicron sticks right now. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I wish I hadn't. Oh no, why? Are you joking? Uh, it seems to be a convention. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a convention. <laughs> Is it going to tell me where? Nope. Nope, that makes no... Actually, maybe that does make sense. What? International Plastic Modeler Society USA? What? Okay, no, that doesn't make any sense, Graham. Because <laughs> I'm reasonably sure, although I could be wrong... Omaha, what... Nebraska. There we go. That's what I figured. Omaha, right? You know, so uh, I'll try recapping this issue or uh, doing the please, plot. Please, no, please yeah. do. Yeah, because this issue is beautiful and also feels like an issue that we actually have read earlier. That is true. Do you and you know? Oh, oh right. Yeah. So anyway, let let me uh, recap the issue and then we can break out the rest. But yes, the the sense of deja vu ness continues as Roger Stern's plot, Tom DeFalco's script. John Basima's pencil layouts and Sal Basima's finishes flesh out nicely whatever the folks at Omicon 6 threw their way, which appears to be something in which Johnny and Alicia, uh, driving through upstate New York on their honeymoon, are at first pulled over by a bunch of aggressive uh, army dudes who only back off once the human torch flames on and they realize who they're dealing with. Um, but it's very much a, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. But, of course, sinister thought balloons suggest otherwise. Upstate New York is where Alicia is in Athenville um, to be able to go to an artist colony uh, where her friend Myrna claims is the perfect spot to spend the rest of our, their honeymoon. Because, yes, an artist colony. Now, I have to say, Graham, before I go any farther, two things a, let's face it, this is one of the few episodes, issues, where apart from issue 300, where all of Alicia's friends showed up and were weird artist types, one thing that we've never touched on is the idea that Alicia is a New York artist. Has a life. <laughs> well, it's not just that she has a life, it's that she has a life as a New York artist. I mean... We're kind of positing here, if you will, that Alicia Masters is the Yoko Ono of the Fantastic Four in more ways than one. And for us, we always just kind of assume that Alicia is like this blind sculptor, as you put it, you know, who is the most patient person in the entire world. But part of me is like, particularly at this point, and the scene in which, uh, in issue 300, where she gives Ben a big kiss on the cheek and is like, no, Ben, I love you, I always love you, is I'm like, she's clearly would have been more comfortable in the sort of situation that New York artists in the 80s were doing, which is to say, she would have been perfectly happy being in a polyamorous relationship, married to Johnny Storm, but still sleeping with a big pile of orange rocks. The fact is, we should show her with like unshaved leg hair and armpit hair and like a nose piercing and it's clear by the time that she goes to the artist colony that um you know a she has life but b like we've missed a huge opportunity by not having her be like a an absolutely insane New York performance artist who creates her sculptors by like shooting yams out of her vagina aka 
you know, dearly loved Karen Finley. Finley, I think. Anyway, so I honestly feel like if there's a way that I could have lowered your volume just there and done a voiceover for the listeners, going, <laughs> Jeff is now going into one of his very strange sexual fetishes <laughs> for the New York art scene of the 1980s. We'll come back in a second. <laughs> You should do also, that. Let's, except... let's, let's just get this straight continuity-wise. We know for a fact that she was not sleeping with Ben because John Byrne went into such fucking detail no, no, no. about how guilt-ridden Ben was about sleeping with Alicia when they were both fucking plastic dolls. I know. Whereas, like, she's like, I'm so into it, I'm going to build a new performance piece about it. I call it metronome six you know like i'm just kind of she calls it omicron six omicron six oh my god you're <laughs> right now we know what it is oh god so um so yes so john oh and that's the other thing is i'm relieved how much johnny stays johnny despite being referred to as john by reed and in the wedding vows and i honestly thought that stern was going to start calling johnny john you know, from now on, which I thought might be worth doing as much as I hated it. So I'm both sort of relieved and disappointed that he's back to Johnny. Well, I, I, I kind of, I kind of hate it, to be honest. What? the, uh, the I totally John get the why Johnny they part? do it. The John. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's totally like he's a man now. But at right. the same time, it's also kind of, I mean, it feels weirdly realistic. I could totally see Johnny being like, no, I'm married now. Call right. me John. Call, Call me, me John. Jonathan. Exactly. Call, Call me, me Jonathan John. Oh, like John John. That would be great. I'm John John Storm. <laughs> no more, no more little boy names for me. It's John John from here on out. <laughs> no, this is the fact. This is why the fact that we really were talking for like an hour before. Serious dividends. <laughs> anyway, so in Athenville, uh, writers and artists are disappearing and then popping up on the streets uh, with no memory of where they've been or why they'd left in the first place. So uh, the sheriff thinks that it's like something out of the Twilight Zone as he and Alicia's friend Myrna accommodatingly explained for a couple of pages to Johnny and Alicia. And Johnny, sorry, John John says, well, smells like a mystery to me. I'm going to fly off and see what I can figure out. Um, and uh, there's a there's a great little page where, like, because Franklin is uh, um, Reed and Sue having dealt with the fact that Franklin's uh, uh, mutant abilities allow him to sort of astrally project himself, but he feels tremendous amounts of shame, are now going to work with him to be more accepting of his mutant powers, which is very much a kind of um, thing that's very Marvel 80s, I have to say, uh, in, in, in that it could be a potentially... It makes sense with the nature of the Marvel Universe, and of course power pack and the importance of uh, the X-Men and the mutant um, metaphor as an actual lifestyle in the Marvel Universe being something that should be uh, accommodated rather than blindly being blindly prejudiced against. 
All of which is to say there's a weird little page where uh, Franklin astrally projects himself, manages to see Johnny and Alicia necking, and then when he comes back, uh, they didn't see me because they were real busy hugging and kissing and doing all kinds of mushy stuff. And to which Ben sits up and says, that's just great, Richards. You're teaching your own kid to be a blasted peeping Tom. I hope you're real proud of yourself. And I do love the panel where Reed does look completely chagrined and mortified as he is he's like oh shit yeah it, it's followed by him going er franklin i think it's time we had a long talk which is not nearly as satisfying as ben Grimm just giving him a load of shit and reed for once being speechless <laughs> which was really kind of terrific once again while no, while while it's great, while the read in that final is great, the Sue is even better because she's looking at Reed disappointed. <laughs> it's, it's really... She's like, Reed, you're not, are you? <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Yeah, I, I do. There's just something so Venture Brothers about it. Meanwhile, we get Johnny, who, even though Alicia isn't around, can't fucking stop talking about how excited he has that he has fucking eyeballs in his head. Talk about a view, he says. I really wish I could share a moment like this with Alicia, but there's just no way I could ever find the right words to describe it. The idea that Johnny is actually... Like, some people are like, did he marry her out of pity? No, it's become apparent that no. he marries her because he feels so goddamn good that he can see every time he hangs out with but, her. But the next page has the even better part where he goes haven't spotted anything suspicious yet everything looks perfectly normal I bet the only thing out the ordinary here is me and I'm major league extraordinary yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> which again oh is... my god he's so great Tom Falco Tom DeFalco actually for all I for all I I will give him shit later his Johnny in this issue is so great <laughs> It really is, because he's just, again... He's ever. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. Just amazing. Anyway, he lands, talks to the army guys. The army guys are kind of like, uh, I already told you people, our people were in the area. What do you want? And then someone comes in and um, not so discreetly says, Captain, still no sign of the missing nukes. Johnny surprisingly, unsurprisingly, freaks out. But the the uh, guy that he's talking to, I was going to say Captain Major. I wasn't even paying attention. Uh, Captain is is like, you know, like, well, shut up. We're keeping this quiet to prevent a full scale panic. Besides, uh, because Johnny's like, why didn't you call in the Fantastic Four, the Avengers? And he's like, hey, that's above my pay grade. It's like the, my superiors make that call until then. I'm doing what I was told, which is to keep a lid on things. Uh, and they basically tell Johnny, like, hey, now that you know about the warheads, you can't leave the camp. And he's like, oh, yeah, kiss my flame, which is sad because it's pretty underwhelming. But um... no, kiss my flame is great. And should have replaced flame on as his, his catchphrase kiss as he headed flame. into 1987. <laughs> he should have been like, this is this is where I'm at now, guys. My name is John John. I'm a new catchphrase <laughs> is kiss my flame. And I'm the human flamer. So, uh, yeah, I've covered all the bases. You here. had to take it that step too far. You had to take it that step too far, Jeff. <laughs> I, I'm just, you're right. Just, I, no, I've, no, 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 no. But don't worry. Kiss My Flame is immediately uh, overruled in anyone's attention by the fact that Myrna turns out to be a Turner coat. Oh, Jesus God, Graham. Oh, 
on. Get with the recap. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, yes, she is indeed a, a Mernicote, a Turnicote, and gasses Johnny. You uh, couldn't even do it. I love that you stop yourself from doing it. You're like a Turnicote. Uh, it sounds like you're actually stopping yourself from vomiting. I, uh, I just uh, threw up in my mouth a little bit. Turnicote. So, yeah. Johnny and Alicia wake up in a room and they're like, uh, Johnny's unable to flame on uh, because Myrna and the rest of the group uh, have decided that it would be best to suppress his flaming ability by immersing him in a solution. Uh, yes. Why have they done that? Because they want him to be able to be, you know, relatively well behaved while they introduce him to the hilariously named Project Survival, uh, which complete with schematic shows them it's amazing yeah yeah project project it genuinely is, it's it's what if we hollow out a mountain yep. to hide from a nuclear blast but that's not enough why don't we turn the entire hollowed out mountain into a rocket yep yeah exactly now um we find the inner council of Project Survival who uh, introduced themselves, including the guy who's to be the villain, uh, Arnold Stuart Kaminsky, although these charming people call me tech. Uh, this is one of those things where some bells ring out around my brain, but um, but it's it may not actually be applicable that Stuart Kaminsky is actually a mystery author who went on to write a number of period well, piece author, uh, mysteries. I was wondering... Mm-hmm. I was wondering if Arnold Kaminsky is someone from Omicron 6. And that's exactly what I like was going to say. Because it, it's, it's such a particular name Yeah, that I was like, that's one of the, like, it's a call out from someone. Exactly. It was, whether it was the panel moderator or the guy who founded the, the con or something, there's the, there's the smell of real life person gets, you know, the delight of being really one of the world's less attractive uh, FF uh, villains. Tech, who um, is mostly balding, has a mustache, uh, smokes a pipe like a champ, uh, is also committed to being able to save basically this group of artists and scientists from the inevitable nuclear war by creating not just a, a fallout shelter, but the artist colony is going to become a space colony that will preserve the best of the human race, which is to say second and third rate artists who are trying to take the summer off from their jobs as receptionists and word processing managers uh, to be able to basically fuck off in upstate New York and pretend they're working on a novel while playing pool, doing drugs, and essentially becoming hypnotized when they don't want to get along with the whole space colony plan. So Johnny's like, I'm not sure that I'm down with this. I don't think that this is a great idea. What with the mind wiping? I hear that mind wiping is really bad, Brad Meltzer. And uh, Tech replies, for the good of Project Survival, I regret that I must place you all under house arrest. The guards come in. Johnny manages to basically poop himself and recreate his flame-on powers. He flies down the hallway to no, try he, and No, he recreates tech. his flame-on powers by absorbing all the heat in the room, yeah. which is apparently his well, powers can be negated. No, he's always been able to absorb heat. Yeah, I understand that. Exactly. But somehow they've managed to negate all his powers apart from that one power yeah how that works 
I don't know. Exactly. Uh, John John is trying to fly down and catch Tech before Tech detonates the nukes and shoots everything into space. And in the sort of high excitement to which recent issues, uh, recent readers of uh, the FF have become accustomed, there is the top-notch dramatic scene of Johnny melting detonators like his life depended on it, looking as if there was an explosion that might have set everything off, but nope, just one of the detonators went off, but the nukes are corked. Tech gets carried out on a stretcher, was like, I... I couldn't let my dream perish with the rest of this planet. Alicia asks, what's going to happen to all these people now, John John? And he says, I suppose some of them will face prosecution, maybe jail. As for the other, the future is in their hands. And of course, everyone, as they do when they get sucked into some sort of ridiculous sex cult, are like, how do we ever let ourselves get conned into anything as crazy as Project Survival? Whereas the other half of the group is, we can't turn our backs on the dream and the orgies. It's up to us to carry on with the orgies. Myrna shows up and is like, oh, can you ever forgive me for being so foolish? I realize now that Project Survival was doomed from the very start. Gotta tell you. Here's, here's the thing, Myrna. I can forgive you for being so foolish. I can't forgive you for fucking gassing and kidnapping us. Right, exactly. Alicia, being Alicia, is, you can't blame yourself for dreaming, Myrna, but if the human race is to survive, well, I have to work at making this world a safer, better place. Myrna says, do you really think it's possible to save this planet from nuclear destruction? And John, John says, it's got to be more than possible, Myrna. It's necessary. The end? Question mark? So. Exactly. And who shall survive? <laughs> to flame no more? <laughs> See, that's they needed a question mark and an exclamation mark at the end of to flame no more. That's You're right. They did. Yeah. They, they needed to, to go, to flame no more? <laughs> it's true. But no, they, they, they didn't go that far. Anyway, Graham. Flaming? That... <laughs> <laughs> and I realize now, I'm like... <laughs> Oh, that cover is like they make it seem like Johnny's quitting flaming, but in fact he's just pooping himself. So I kind of get he's just trying to flame. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that, that is the end of the Roger Stern run on Fantastic Four. Going out on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a shame. Like I was saying last episode. I think Roger Stern's a pretty good writer. I think his Avengers good. I think he did some great Superman stuff. Right. His FF run is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. You know, it, it's a shame because he, he. I think he's a good writer, and I think he's better than everything he did during this era. But all of this stuff is just is really, really, really bad. Well, I do. I don't know what's going. On. I don't know if it was the edit, editorial. I don't know if he was given the. This is who the thing is now. This is who you're writing. I, well, I'm, you know, Stern and Byrne, that sounds ridiculous, were pretty tight. And I'm assuming still were at this point. Right. So part yeah. of me... Well, they, they maintained to be tight years, years later, so yeah. Yeah, so I, I sort of wonder the extent to which the idea that they came to that Marvel came, the editors came to Stern and were like, you know, can you take over? And Burns like, I'm okay with it. You're the only person I'd feel okay with it. But like Stern's heart just kind of isn't in it. You know what I mean? Like, despite what he says, he's basically replaced his friend who's been unceremoniously fired. Um, 
and is supposed to guide these books through. It's a paycheck, but it may just be a paycheck that he just does not feel very comfortable about, you know? So, I don't know. Issue 303, Graham, I'll leave to you to sum up because, oh boy. Issue 303 features the return of rightfulness to the Fantastic Four for one issue in what is meant to be described as a Rosen reunion. But because of bad lettering, looks like it says a housing reunion. <laughs> That's right, right, Thomas? Looking for somewhere to live. Listen You're going to shack up with John Basima, who this time is John being... John Basima and, yeah, Romeo Tangal, and that's not a good mix. No. Sure, it was a bit rocky with, with Sal, but uh, John Basima and Romeo Tangal, that's one ugly combination. It, it's, but that's okay. Yeah. Because this is one ugly-ass issue. Short version of this plot, Ben meets Thundra in the street. Because Ben, again, is like, oh, you guys, I hate you all. What? Fuck. No. I hate you. Right? No. I'm leaving. You guys all suck. And as he is out complaining, he runs into Thundra, who returns and says, come with me to my future alternate world, and I will tell you that things are complicated. And so they fight some people, and then she's like, I want to marry you, thing man. You're the only man I respect. And he's like, well, maybe. <laughs> and then he's like, no, I've changed my mind. No, I can't. No. I, I was just thinking maybe because I hate the way my life is going. If only I could turn back time. And then Cher shows up and is like, you can turn back time if you could find a way. And Thunder says, we've got a way. I'll send you back before you get kidnapped for Secret Wars. And then you can just change history and everything will be great. And he does. He doesn't go to see the Secret Wars. He stays there. He proposes to Alicia. Johnny doesn't get together with Alicia. Oh, my God. Everything's different. They get to the aisle and Ben freaks the fuck out and is like, no, I'm living a lie. Shit. And instead of just leaving like any other human being would by going back down the aisle and out the door, he runs out the side of the building saying, oh yeah, and thinking he's the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> he then talks to the ghostly head of Thundra, who's like, what the fuck? We've sent you back to change time, and you're, what the fuck is this? And he's like, can I unchange time? And she's like, yes, fine, you can unchange time, but you're never coming back here. Nope, that's it, mister. And he's like, that's okay. He really does seem amazingly undisturbed by the fact that Thundra is like, it's going to take a lot of energy and really cause me pain to do this. And he's like, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Quick, quick. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's but true. He, he turns up and then he goes in and, and Franklin's uh, asleep and he's like, you kids, you have it easy. You do what? And then the last page, stunningly, is is a full page portrait of a crying Ben Grimm going, you're in love with the wife of one of your best buddies, and for all you know, maybe you always will be. And then says, thanks from Roy T to Don D, that's Don Daly's editor, and John B, John Bissema, for giving me another crack at the big fella. Really, Roy? That's what you do with your crack at Ben Grimm? Yeah. Leave him crying? What the fuck is this issue? <laughs> but actually... It's quite clear this issue is fucking filler. Well, the thing that I, I played the previous issues in this episode were filler, but this issue is filler. The, I do have to say, there's a few things. One, as you know, I have a fondness for Thundra, so it's kind of nice seeing her back. B, 
I like the fact that Thundra is kind of like uh, Ben, you know, come help me. Oh, uh, and will you also marry me? You're like the only dude I halfway respect. And then is it basically like Ben? I like the, the moments where some of the characters act like adults. Again, it doesn't mean anything because it just keeps getting wiped at the end of each issue. But it's like a trick that I fall for every time. So Thundra's little moment of like, hey, I feel really bad. I wanted you for my mate. So I held you. I held back from telling you that we could like transport you back in time with full cognizance and blah, 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 is kind of touching. I mean, you know, it's the whole plot is ridiculous. Similarly, when Ben goes through this whole marriage thing, which is, of course, a complete contradiction of what everything everyone else has been telling us for like the last six or seven issues, which Stern tried to write off as like, no, I'm pissed because I had the opportunity to break off with Alicia and then I didn't because of Richard's lying to me and then I went to the Secret Wars and blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, is I could have broken it off in time. Instead, Thomas takes it as a, well, of course I'm going to marry Alicia. I have to admit, I like the moment where the person is like, where the reverend is, if there's any reason, if anyone can say any reason why this man and woman should not be joined in wedlock, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. And Ben says, uh, yeah, I can. And the little thought balloon is, which he's like, uh, did I say that? I sort of, I like that moment. I have to say the, the rest of it is all hot trash. Um, and even those moments are hot trash because they make no sense in everything that's been laid up. But the fact that it's also the story moves pretty fucking fast. Everyone else, maybe because he only had one issue, this certainly would have been dragged out to two issues if this had happened before issue, if Stern had been doing it. The fact that it's one very concise issue by Roy Thomas makes it somewhat less annoying to me. Um, even though by the end you realize Thunder really only does exist as um, Plot MacGuffin. You know, she's only there to come up with a reason why Ben's able to do this sort of um, it's a wonderful life moment. And it kind of kind of that sort of annoying. There's me. so much that Thunder is should be offering in this story. Yes. Do you know what I mean, like she she theoretically there should be more emotional fallout to what goes on with Thunder. Yeah, because she does offer Ben beyond the like it's a wonderful life, as you put it. She offers Ben uh the escape that he's been asking for for all these issues yeah you know and there should be more to that and also there should be more to ben should give her at least a second thought when he arrives back on earth because she really does say you know this is really complicated and, and bad for us to do but i'm doing it because i love you yeah to ben and ben's just like hi i got back great she sure turned out to be a world-class pal though yeah yeah, exactly. Right? And you're like, wait. <laughs> yep. Uh, I do love also the fact that when Roy Thomas rewrites the wedding of uh, of Ben and Alicia instead of the wedding of Johnny and Alicia, he's like, fuck yes, there are superheroes there, even if they don't do anything than hold up a fucking church roof. Oh, um, and he makes fun of Cap sitting with his shield on. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which is so great. <laughs> so great 
<laughs> You're right. Not many guys come to church wearing a shield on their backside. Yeah, no, there's there's bits and pieces in it that I'm always like, yeah, this could have been, I don't know. I As you know, I seem to have an inexplicable fondness for Roy Thomas on the FF. And um, it kind of helps me make it through this issue, despite the fact that it's, again, the, the panel where um, the guy, the invincible android that, uh, that, that, Ben has to defeat because no other woman can because of its alpha waves or whatever. The fact that the fact that John Basima literally just draws a Popeye villain, it makes me laugh. Like that dude, that six armed dude who's like punching it out with with Ben is just funny. And and Basima plays it for laughs, you know, complete with like Ben like flying like flattening out against a wall and then falling flat on his ass on the ground. Like just, just ridiculous shit, like ridiculous shit. So it was a terrible issue, but I have to say, um, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I was going to say, where, where are you going to defend this Jeff? Cause it was a terrible issue. It's, it's pretty much all you can leave it. But here's the thing. It's a different flavor of terrible from the issues that went before. Yeah. In a weird way, the Ben of this issue, even though he doesn't match the Ben of the previous six, is more recognizable as Ben Grimm. Like, yeah. throughout the staring issues, I did not buy that angry Ben at all. Yeah, And it wasn't helped by the fact that every single character would go, I can't believe he's so angry now, and lampshade it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that really did not help it. Yeah. But it, it, it was like, this isn't Ben. Like, this is ridiculous. This is not the thing. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, I I'm not buying this for a fucking second. Yeah, all of these issues, people. This is the strangest episode of Baxter Building we've done, and we've done some strange episodes. We have. It's a the combination of Jeff and I really genuinely talking for like an hour and a half before we started recording the episode, uh, and also both of us legitimately having very little to say about these comics because coming on the heels of the burn issues. They seem, what would seem like a pretty dull run, you know, before Munch and Sienkiewicz were doing it. Yeah. Seems even more dull now. Yep. You know, and it, it, it really does just, it's like, well, those were definitely comics that existed. Well, I... I, 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 I and I, I said this to you midweek, like, mm-hmm. I read these comics like three times, and I still have... Very little to say about any. Yeah, no, exactly. Which is part of why I think it was not a bad idea to power through them as quickly as we did or could. But um, it it doesn't fill me with a certain amount of despair. As you know, we're moving into the Engelhart taking over. I have not read those. Uh, you know, I've read the Simons oh, and stuff. Yeah. I know. But my point is, Graham, is I don't know, like... I weirdly enough, after Burn leaves, admittedly, like I said, he seems to have put the book in a pickle with where he's pointed the plot in in a way that no one can really seem to reconcile themselves with. But it does make me wonder, like, can sort of are the FF like a quote unquote good concept? Like, are they really inherently able to sort of stand the test of time? Because these are some terrible issues and the issues before burn took over 
were kind of pretty terrible too. And we hit strong stretches after Kirby left where the book was kind of profoundly mediocre at best. Like, is it really... Is is that just the nature of, like, um, superheroes? That, that, like, any book can no, be I, dull I, and turgid? Or... Well, yes, but also Fantastic Four has, I would say, the one of the smallest numbers of good... Like, one of the worst ratios of good issues to bad issues. Yeah, I think you're right. Overall. Yeah. But when it's done well, it's one of the best superhero comics. Yeah. That's the thing that's so strange. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the Simonson issues are great. Mm-hmm. The burn issues, honestly, like, at least the first half of the burn run is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, there is there is a lot to... The, the Engelhart issues are great but an incredibly acquired taste mm-hmm. but I, I like i think it's a taste you've acquired if that makes sense right like i think i think you'll find a lot to chew on mm-hmm. um but at the same time you do have like you said like a long long run of some very bad issues yeah um so i don't think it's superhero comics in general as much as i think the ff's just a really hard concept here, right? yeah i think so i mean every once in a while i break break out this idea that that um uh you know genres g- genre material is kind of like restaurant food you know and superheroes are sort of there's like easy meals to make and then there's very complicated meals to make and pull off well and i think i think the ff are some equivalent of you know some fancy piece of cuisine that when it's made well is excellent um but is really hard to master, you know? Like, it's not just like, like Spider-Man is like a good hamburger, you know what I mean? Like, you can, if you get, if you really put too much thought into it, you can really fuck up a hamburger. But generally, if you keep a hamburger very simple, it's got its appeal, you stick to it. Batman, I feel, is kind of the same way. Batman is like pasta. Most, just about everybody loves pasta. You can dress it up in different ways, but it's still kind of basically pasta, you know? The FF, I think, is some sort of tricky foie gras shit where people are like, you try and make it and present it, and it's and it can just be a fucking mess. Like, you know what it's supposed to be, and it even resembles it, but you find yourself very quickly being like, why am I putting myself through this, you know? And uh, like you said, I think it's it's... You're right. I think it's not that it's a bad concept, but there re- it's a really hard thing to do well. And as we've seen, we just saw a whole batch of issues that were done very, very far from well. Did you mute yourself or did you did you die again, Graham? What happened? I Jeff, just give me like two seconds <laughs> to actually like agree with you. <laughs> Oh my god, you were so jumpy this episode. <laughs> well, you muted yourself earlier. You were, like, so quiet. I'm like, ugh. Also, I, it, it's true. I did get self-conscious about, like, six minutes into that metaphor. So I'll be quiet now. I agree with you. It's the short version. <laughs> no, but it, it's, I mean, it's hilarious because, like, you're agreeing with me. And I'm like, I agree with you agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> but... It, it's it's funny 
because the FF is, on the one hand, a really simple concept, but it's a simple concept that ultimately is really removed from the superhero mainstream. Yeah. They're an adventurer family for whom it's not about fighting supervillains. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the the fact that so many creators come from the, well, we'll just bring Diablo back. He's a bad guy. We'll just bring Doctor Doom back. He's a bad guy. Like the, these are the bad guys that they will fight. Really, sort of underscores how easy it is to get the FF wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and and I actually think Superman is really similar. You can do a when Superman's good, Superman's great, but it's really easy to do Superman wrong in a way that it's kind of hard to do Batman wrong. Yeah, I think so too, which is, you know, which it's is kind of really hard to do weird. Spider-Man wrong. Right, right. Because, because those are concepts where it really is about fighting the bad guy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. And, and, there's, and that can be enough. Mm-hmm. Whereas DFF and Superman... It's not enough that they are just dealing with a villain. There should be something more there. Mm, I think that's a really good point. You know, and so you you can you if you miss that, you well, but at the same time, you know, I don't think Stern's problem was that he was just having them fight bad guys because there's a lot of soap opera in these issues right. and they still don't work. Yeah, but part of it is that the extra that is necessary has to ring true. Hmm. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think, I think there's something to that. Um, It's, you know, it's funny because I, I almost feel that it's gotta be, and I don't know about Superman, but maybe for the FF, it's got, it's gotta be firing on three cylinders. You've kind of got to have the sort of the crazy big science stuff. And you have to have the soap opera and you have to have, you have to fight the bad guys. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be something. I really do get the sense that people are like, if you go all the way back to, to the heyday of Kirby, Kirby was able to induce awe. You know what I mean? Like, and he did it through scientific means, I guess. But if you can try and induce awe and you can sort of get the grounded family stuff and you get some satisfying punching in between, then, yeah, you're right. You kind of get a, the FF, but you kind of... Maybe you just can't have only two out of the three, or if you do, you really have to have those two done very well. Yeah, you are, you have to have them really done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... You know, or else... or Because otherwise, then you feel the absence of the third. Yes. And it doesn't matter which two you have. Right. Like, unless you're doing those two perfectly yep you will on some level be like it's missing something yeah it still feels like it could be missing something so you know it's funny we 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 carp about issue 296 and how terrible it was and it was but i have to say if the despite is how much i like jerry ordway's um the the dynamism of his of his uh, uh layouts if you had Barry Windsor Smith draw the whole issue, because, you know, I really do kind of like the atmospheric moodiness of the first two or three pages, even though 
even though they don't really make sense, even though Stan just doesn't know how to write with Barry Windsor Smith, part of me is like, yeah, maybe there would have been enough awe there. Because, you know, they're fighting monsters on Monster Island. There's even that full-page um, spread of, like, the Kirby-ish vehicle that looks sort of like, what's it called? The Mountain of Judgment or whatever from uh, Jimmy Olsen? Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's just this enormous underground war wagon that's hollowing out the earth for the mole man that Reed realizes is a problem. And it gets a full page spread that, you know, again, whoever the hell is drawing it at that point is kind of like, OK, I can we can sort of do the Kirby here. But it's, you know, but it's pla it's placeholder, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's I think I think that's I think that's a good point, Graham. It'll be kind of interesting to test that theory as we as we roll forward through the Engelhart stuff. Well, here's here's the crazy thing. We are now at the point where there are essentially three more creative teams before the series finishes. Right. I mean, there's some fill-in teams, yada yada, but there is Engelhart and an army of artists. <laughs> yes. There is Simonson for a relatively short period, and then for the rest of the run, it's essentially Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan. Right. And that's it. Wow. You know, uh, Carlos Pacheco does two issues at the very end. Man. But but that's it. Uh, and it's so strange to have come this this far. Like, we're, th we're two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. No, in fact, we're three-quarters of the way through. Three-quarters of the way uh, through, yeah. The run at this point. And it's it's weird to have come this far, and in a really weird way, for me at least, to have realized how fragile the Fantastic Four is as a concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where we are. Next time on the Baxter Building, dear friends, we will start the Steve Englehart run. And it will be glorious. <laughs> glorious. I'm wondering how far to take us. I'm wondering if it should take us up to uh, 313. Uh, yeah, that sounds good, right? 304 I, I'm, I'm, to 313? I'm wondering if that is, is a, a cliffhanger, though. Oh. I no, see. it's not. It's not a cliffhanger. Yeah, let's do 304 to 313. Okay, fabulous. Um, and, yeah, uh, we were just talking about soap opera. Oh, man. Yes. Oh, friends Steve Englehart <laughs> comes in and says you know what I think FF hasn't seen enough of <laughs> absolutely batshit soap opera but he does to his credit really play with Ben is a very different character mm -hmm. to, to my uh, great enjoyment yeah. he, he does it in a sense of but he's still a good guy mm -hmm. he's a good guy who's hurting mm -hmm. but he's still a good guy mm -hmm. uh, and also he kind of writes Johnny's a dick, which I really like. <laughs> Sorry, John John. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for staying with us through this increasingly goofy episode. Uh, there will be show notes for this episode coming up at some point on the Monday. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say midway through Monday, but honestly, if fucking Star Wars or something drops a trailer, then that's going to take priority because... They pay me money. <laughs> so it'll be at some point on Monday that we show notes for this. Um, there is always stuff on the Wait Watts Tumblr, which is waitwattspod.tumblr. Mm -hmm. 
dot com. Uh, we have a Twitter account at Wait Podcast. Oh, I should say when I said the show notes, it's going to be at waitwhatpodcast.com. Yes, I knew there was something I forgot. There's a Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. We have a Twitter account at Wait Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBassid at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And earlier this episode, if you can cast your mind back that far, I mentioned the Patreon and the fact that people who have pledged $1 or above get access to additional Baxter building material. Uh, Jeff, why don't you tell people more about the Patreon? Hey, I think you guys, if you've been listening to us before, you kind of know the drill. Like, we love doing this podcast, and we love all of our listeners, but we're incredibly appreciative that um, a number of you um, basically jumped to Patreon and became patrons of this podcast and threw us a little bit of extra dosh. Um, to keep us uh, motivated and uh, energized and able to um, buy, in my case, the delightful Black Panther t-shirt that I'm wearing right now. Um, so we thank everyone, but uh, I definitely want to reserve an extra bit of thanks to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're super especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and uh, their willingness to not crush us beneath their galactic paw. Because who knows? American Ninth Art Studios, you don't know if they got paws, they got hands. Let's just say for the sake of argument that, um, you know, our extra special, part of what makes them extra special is the fact that maybe they don't have opposable thumbs. Graham? I've never thought of that before. I know that's just going to be in my head for the rest of the night. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, we're going to be back next week with a regular rate what? Yeah. And we'll be back in a month with the beginning of Steve Englehart turning Classic Four into a very different, very wonderful book. Wow. I'm super excited. Not just for myself to read these issues, but for Jeff to read them. Yeah. You have no idea, people. You have no <laughs> idea how much I'm looking forward to Jeff reading these issues. Because... It's honestly 50-50 as to whether he loves them or he fucking hates them. Yeah. We'll all find out together next month. Until then, Jeff, it's a Baxter building, so you're the one who sings us out. Oh, that's true. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building. <laughs>